Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Well, hello there. How's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode that's a compilation of all the board games that we've been playing recently. And on this episode, The Cardboard Kid, Board on the Air, BoardandGame.com, The Meeple Dungeon, Dice and Dragons, Friday Night Games, definitely a board game podcast, and Cardboard Conjecture. Remember to check out the show notes to the links of the content of the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast. Sit back, relax, and listen to some great content. Hi everyone, I'm the Cardboard Kid. If you don't know me, I'm 11 years old and I've been reviewing games on YouTube since April 2017. So far, I've over 280 reviews and dozens of interviews and features. Some of you know this, but back in February, I got, well, really sick. It continued through March and it's something I'll have to deal with for the rest of my life, but treatments and meds have really helped me feel like myself again. We've even been playing board games again, so I wanted to join my friends on What You've Been Playing Wednesday to share my thoughts on them. Also, I've started recording reviews again and we have some big changes planned. The first game I'm going to talk about, Santorini, New York, will go up May 7th. Okay, let's dive in. We went into Santorini, New York with high hopes because of our feelings on the original Santorini and came away quite disappointed. It looks great, but it needs a second edition to fix the problems I have with the rulebook and graphic design. Will I play it? Yeah, I guess, but I'd rather not. I'm a fan of the mind, especially with two players, and I was told that the game was pretty similar. Well, I had a chance to review the game face-to-face, and it's pretty good. It's fast, has clever hand management, and works incredibly well online over Tabletop Simulator. I, um, don't know if it was an official mod, so yeah. Anyhow, for being a quick little game, we had some fun moments with this one. I've only played Flourish the one time, but I'm enjoying it so far. It sits in that herbaceous category of accessible yet thinky games, while being super pretty. We haven't tried the co-op or variants yet, but the base game alone has us excited too. I've talked up the original Chai quite a bit, and no, not just because I'm in the game, although... (laughs) Chai T for 2 doesn't just cut a few players off. It's different in both mechanisms and theme. You're not selling to customers, but instead shipping tea. It's a dice placement game too, which isn't one of my favorite mechanisms, but one I enjoy. I prefer the original, but I like this more than I expected, and I expected to like it. Let's end with the latest in one of my favorite game series, Chronicles of Crime, the Millennium Series, 1900. We played the tutorial and first case on Saturday, the first part of the second case after D&D on Sunday, and we'll be playing the second part tonight after dinner. I loved 1400, and think 1900 is even better so far. The puzzles add a new level, even though I did like the vision cards, 
and of course, the dog in 1400. I miss you, Percival. I really hope that the rest of the cases hold up because right now, this doesn't quite pass the base game in Noir, but it sure has a chance. That's about all for now. If you want to see photos and updates on what I'm playing, follow me on Twitter at Cardboard underscore Kid. For weekly reviews, check out my YouTube channel, The Cardboard Kid. Please stay safe. Happy gaming! Hi, I'm David. And I'm Shay. And this is What Have You Been Playing? A weekly podcast of Canadian content where uh, a bunch of artists talk about uh, what games they played this week. Yeah. We are going old school. I mean, it's not that old school, is it? It's pretty old school. How old is it? It was released in 2015, and I definitely didn't pause the podcast to uh, record that. (laughs) No, no, definitely didn't just take a quick break to look up when this game was published. We should probably say the name of the game. Yes, Champions of Midgard. Yes. Uh, This is... With both expansions of Valhalla and the Dark Mountains. Yes. Which is the only way to play this game. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so this was released in 2015. Uh, one of one of the more popular entry-level worker placement games. Would you call this entry-level? I would definitely call okay. this entry-level. I mean, I, I definitely classify it as, a, as at least a mid-weight. Like, it's, it's not super light. Yeah. It's long enough to be a midweight. I, I guess once you add the expansions, there's there's more to it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I can give you a midweight or entry-level midweight with the expansion. Fair enough. I didn't. I never played the base game by itself, so I don't have anything to base uh, that off of. One of the first times we went to Amazing Stories to play a board games yep. around Friday nights. This is one of the games we played. Uh, first roll, or first... Ver- version out, go fight a monster, lose both my dice, get nothing back, and spend the rest of the game playing catch-up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the expansions help fix that, where it's, you know, even if you're losing die, you're sometimes you're actually trying to lose dice, yep. because you're getting little tokens to buy stuff in the Valhalla expansion. Yeah, so the the base base game, you're rolling, di- or you're placing your workers to get dice and resources to be able to go fight um, either the troll or the draugr or the monsters. Yes. And the you you attack by rolling the dice, and the monsters have attack back, so you lose dice because unless you have shields. Yes. The they ex- they have a defense a- and, and an attack, an attack or yeah. a health and an attack. Um, the expansions add more monsters to face, but more importantly, the Valhalla expansion you get tokens if your dice die, and those. Tokens allow you to buy cards, which will sometimes give you more dice, including special dice that come with the expansion, the pink and the yellow ones, uh, or sometimes victory points or resources. So it definitely gives you a catch-up mechanism, and you're never that far behind by losing dice. Yeah, it's. I, I really like it with the expansions, and, and this is your game. Yes. Uh, you have tricked this game out completely. I have gotten... All of the deluxe, uh, deluxification going on. Yeah, you've even made stuff up for this one. I have, yeah. The favor tokens and the, the blame. I didn't like the official upgrade pack with, like, the wood discs and stuff, so I got colored gems for them instead. Yes. Uh, it took about, I'm going to say, 90 minutes to two hours to play. Yeah, it was four people. Yeah, we, we hadn't played it for a while, so there was a, a little bit of remembering the rules when we started. Yeah. Uh. We've played this, I would say, 
almost a dozen times. Yeah, we've played it quite a few times. Like, we never play it multiple times right after each other, yeah. which is why there's always that learning curve when we start again, because we're like, wait, we've played this game, but how do we play it? Yeah, it's it's one we, we keep pulling out. It's, it's in our collection, and when we want just something fun to play, this is one of the ones we reach for. Yeah, or if I want something I can win. Yeah. I, I reach for this game because <laughs> yeah, I crushed everybody last night. You 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 destroyed us. I I have won this game in the past. I think once or twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I really like the whole classic worker placement to it with a little bit of Ameritrash thrown in with the dice rolling and fighting the monsters. Yeah, there's randomness, but also some control because there is ways that you can like edit the dice with your powers and stuff. So I think it's a nice uh, mesh between the two. Yeah, and as I say, I won't play it without the expansions. Now yeah. that I that now that I've played it with the expansions, absolutely. There's I don't think there's any point. Like it it adds so much without really making it more complex or even significantly longer. For sure, it's it's very similar to Raiders of the North Sea for me, mm-hmm. where another Viking game, but I have to play with the expansions because I just think they make the game that much better. Yeah. Uh, as we said, Shay's tricked this one out. So components in this one in the base game before the upgrades are cardboardy. They're okay. Yeah, so the, the favor tokens, the blame tokens are cardboard. The money is cardboard. Um, the resources are just red and brown cubes. There's food and there's there's yeah. uh, wood. So the red and brown cubes. Um, the, is there any other, what else did I do? Oh yeah, there's, if you have the expansions, there's three different boards that go with it, plus like the market stall. Uh, so I guess four different boards that go with it, plus your character boards and everything. What I got was the, I got metal coins, which none of the, by the the way, other than the, the neoprene mat that I got, none of the deluxifying I did actually was official, but I did get metal coins, um, that were that are awesome. They're Viking themed. And yeah, they're, they're not, from Fantasy LLC. Yeah, and they're not round. They have like cutouts in them. They're pretty cool. They look like little axe heads. Basically. Yeah, they're awesome. And then I got a uh, standard kind of wooden uh, shaped wood pieces and uh, food yeah. printed. So they actually look like wooden food. Yeah, it's the triple um, log wood pieces. Yeah. And the, it looks like a steak basically. Yeah. And then I also upgraded the blood tokens. I got wooden blood tokens for yeah. the, the wounds. And like I said, the favor and the blame, I got black gems for the blame and yellow gems for the favor because there really wasn't anything that matched them very well. Yeah. Uh, but I thought that it looked, it would have looked lame to have them all be cardboard when everything else was tricked yeah. out. And more importantly, you got the neoprene mat yeah. that put all the boards the together. The neoprene mat, you it does everything and it honestly saves space and looks so nice rather than putting three boards next to each yeah, other. Yeah, it, it's... It's one of those ones where there's so many little boards you're adding to it that the neoprene just makes it cleaner. Yeah, right? and I and, sleeved all my cards. And yeah, and everything's been sleeved. So that is what we have been playing. Uh, once more, Champions of Midgard, we are Board on the Air. I'm David. And I'm Shay. You can catch us on CFCR every Thursday night at 6 o'clock and all your favorite podcasting uh, sites. Have a great night. See you next week. Hi, this is Andrew Buckles of BoardingGame.com, and I'm here to talk about what I've been playing this week. This week, I'm going to focus on 1882 Assiniboia. 
1882 is part of the 18xx series of railroad games, which started with 1829 and 1830 by Francis Tresham. I talked about that series of games more thoroughly in my discussion of 1846 in our episode back on January 13th, 2021. That's episode two of the What You've Been Playing Wednesdays podcast for anyone who wants to go back and take a listen to it. 1882 is designed by Mark Voyer, and it was initially self-published and then later published by All Aboard Games. The self-published version of 1882 is listed as coming out in 2019, with the All Aboard Games version falling in 2020. So this is a relatively recent 18xx title. For those not familiar with the Assiniboia subtitle here, it's part of Canadian history. There have been two different districts of Assiniboia over the years, and there's also currently a town of Assiniboia in Saskatchewan. The first district of Assiniboia was the Red River Colony. This name was used from 1812 through 1869, and from 1838 to 1869 in particular, it was defined as the 50 square miles around Fort Garry, which is present-day Winnipeg. Following the Red River Rebellion, though, that territory became known as Manitoba. After that, in 1882, the second district of Assiniboia was created. This covered a lot of what is present-day Saskatchewan, and it also covers a little bit on the western edge of what is now present-day Alberta. And it's appropriate that this game is titled 1882, because that's the date of creation of this second district of Assiniboia. So how does 1882 actually play? Well, Mark has created a really interesting game here. Unlike the likes of 1846, this is a full capitalization 18xx game, so it's in the 1830 line, and what that means is that you need to buy 60% of a company before that company operates at all. When that company hits that 60% float marker, it then gets all the money for it, every share, including the ones that haven't yet been sold. So the companies start out with quite a bit of money, but it's harder to get money back into them later on. This is important for 18A2 because 18A2 is a very tight and very mean game. There, there's a lot of shenanigans that can go on and there are a lot of rough edges. It's not uncommon at all to see bankruptcies in this game. Full capitalization games themselves aren't always mean, of course, but the full capitalization here is one of many factors that does make this a, a tight and mean game. Other aspects that really work towards that are things that happen in the operational rounds where you're laying track and running train. The track in 18A2 is extraordinarily limited by 18xx standards. There are very limited numbers of specific tiles, including upgrades, so it's quite possible that you can't even make a legal upgrade just because the tile has been used somewhere else on the board. Another notable piece of tile shortages comes from the cities. There are only four yellow city tiles available for basic yellow cities, and they're all straight through. So a lot of the time you can't lay the track you want to lay in the direction you want it until later in the game. And then it becomes a question of if that track is even available for you to use. A lot of the flavor of different 18xx games comes in the private companies that are distributed at the start of the game, in this case through an 1830 style auction. 
and I think the private companies in 1882 are particularly outstanding. They really illustrate the railway history of the area, and they work in some fun historical events. A particularly notable one is the Northwest Rebellion, which was an event that took place historically in 1885, led by Louis Riel, who was key to the Red River Rebellion previously. In the game, this has a cool effect of destroying all track in a certain area, and a thing that's notable is that the timing of this rebellion differs from game to game. It's going to be on the first train purchase of a different kind, but what kind of train that is is going to change from game to game. So I think that's a nice approach to randomness in that there's setup randomness here, but after the setup, everybody knows when this is going to happen, and you can prepare for it, and there are different consequences from it being at a different time. Another notable element of 1882 is the tightness of the train roster. There are fewer trains than you would find in 1830, and that adds to the potential for bankruptcies and really leads to quite a big train rush, which can be very fun to try and figure out how you're going to survive. Overall, I really love 1882. It's set in the part of the world I'm interested in, I think it handles the history well, but it's also a really fun game to play with the different powers of the private companies, with the potential for tragic track lays and the train rush being such a big factor of the game. It's a game that plays pretty quickly, especially compared to a lot of other 18xx games, and if you're experienced at this, you can play it quite quite fast in a couple of hours. It will take longer if it is your introduction to 18xx though, and I would say that this may be a hard game to learn on because of all the different sharp edges in it. But Mark has created an excellent game here. It's one that's very easy to play, especially online at 18xx.games, which is a free site that just celebrated its one year anniversary, and I think it's worth checking out there. That's 1882 Cinnaboya, designed by Mark Voyer. I'm Andrew Buckholtz. You can get in touch with me on Twitter at Andrew Buckholtz, B-U-C-H-O-L-T-Z, and you can find my board game writing at BoardingGame.com. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody. It's Rob and Anna Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello. And we are here recording for the What You've Been Playing Wednesdays podcast again. And uh, this week we've been playing one game and only one game. What game was that? That was Nita Valir, uh, designed by Serge Leger and published by Gur Games. Yeah, I really like Gur Games. I think that's a hilarious uh, publisher name. Just love it for whatever reason. Uh, Nita Valir. So it's a two to five player game. It runs about 30 to 40 minutes. We've found anyway, the box says a bit longer than that. But uh, once you get this game down pat, it's roughly 30 minutes, especially in a two-player version. Yeah, it's pretty quick. Yeah. Thematically, you are in a dwarven kingdom of Nidavellir, and it is being threatened by the evil dragon Fafnir. So you are searching through the local taverns to hire skilled dwarven warriors and such and, and powerful heroes to take down this horrible threat of a dragon. Anna-Marie, would you be able to tell them how this game works? Sure. So the game is basically played over two ages, ages one and age two. And each age is made up of a deck of cards, which is 
completely made up of dwarves. Yeah. So different dwarves on each card. Um, you have three taverns, and each tavern gets three dwarves for each round. Kind of like the prancing pony yeah. <laughs> in Lord of the Rings. Right. Yes. And so once you have all the dwarves laid out at the taverns, um, on your little player board, you get to bid um, to see who gets to pick first yeah. to get their when choice bid of dwarf. gets first choice, yeah. Yeah, at each tavern. Yeah. Um, you get five coins to bid with. You start with a zero, two, three, four, five. Mm-hmm. And you basically choose your bids, put them down face down, and then... Um, you reveal them at the same time. Yep, one tavern at a time. Yep. Once you've each chosen your dwarf, um, you go to the next tavern. Uh, one neat thing is that your zero coin, it actually allows you to um, trade in some coins to get higher value coins. Yeah, really so, cool mechanic. This is something I hadn't seen much of before in any game that I can think of. Uh, so yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, it's super cool. I hadn't seen it either. So um, basically, let's say I had my three and my five coin left. Mm-hmm. Um, I had my zero coin bid when that happens. Yeah, so you bid your zero coin and I bid my four or whatever, yeah. right? So on my four, I would choose a choose a, one of the dwarves, add it to my army, and then your zero coin, you you'd get to I still get to choose the a dwarf, dwarf. Yeah. but then I take my three and five coin, add them together, yep. eight, and then I take an eight coin from the cool little treasury... Super cool bleacher. component <laughs> wooden bleachers that hold all the coins, and they stand there. It's really cool. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, check out my Twitter. You'll see the, the uh, pictures of it on there. Yeah, so I would take the eight coin and then put add that to my coin purse, but I would um, discard my five coin, the highest of the two that I had there. So my three and my five, discard my five, but keep the eight. Yeah, so you'd end up with an eight and a, a three rather than a five and a three, just yeah. because you played your zero coin. Yeah, yeah and it, so it allows you to have more money, which also adds towards your um, game and scoring. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're choosing your dwarves, there are five different types of dwarf. Yep. There's a warrior. Are there warriors, hunters, miners, blacksmiths, and explorers? Yep. And they each have their own color right. attached to them. Yep. And a cool symbol yes. for each one yep. for the colorblind people out there, which right. is really cool. And um, when you choose a dwarf, you're laying it down in front of you face up so everyone can see it. And you're making columns of dwarfs that um, have the same color. So you're putting your warriors in the same column, hunters in the same column, etc., etc. Yep. And one neat thing is the... Basically, the longer your columns are, the more dwarfs you have in each column. Um, Each dwarf type has its own very unique end game scoring. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so generally, the more you have of each type or of each dwarf, you're going to have higher end game scoring. Yeah, the better you you will do in that particular group. Yeah. So you got to kind of you can decide which type you want to focus on. But also, um, you don't want to neglect types of dwarfs because if you get a full row of five so instead of the column you get one of each color Mm -hmm. then you get to um, choose a hero yes and the heroes are super cool and i would say very pivotal to this definitely um there's a whole array of them whole whack of different heroes some of them give you a lot of points just straight up uh but don't really do much else and then there are other heroes that will have, you know, a few points attached to them, but give you a crazy ability, like the Seer. And the Seer allows you to watch your opponent bid first, and then you get to react to to their bid. So that's, you know, super cool abilities like that. And there's a whole bunch of them. We've only only used a a fraction of them. So 
we you know we don't understand all of them just yet so we're they're pretty neat though and it's it, it's neat i've i've found that we've both tried to get different ones so yeah. we haven't stuck to the same ones and try to see no. kind of how they play and they all play neat and our, our games have just kind of ended all differently and I, i've enjoyed every single one. Oh yeah well um, you beat me in every single one other than the last one right where i crushed you but you did yes <laughs> but uh but yeah so you don't want to just go straight for the columns because you do want to get those yeah. roll bonuses to yeah. get the heroes yeah you need the heroes for sure but you can still specialize i'd say yes, kind of like you definitely can go for two particular colors while trying to still get you know, trying to get two or three heroes is probably worth your time. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, at the end of age one, so once you run out of cards in uh, the age one deck, you um, you basically, the king will give his distinctions to whoever has yeah, you get the no most more. rank of right. each type of dwarf. Mm-hmm. So it's basically a bonus um, for each type of, you know. Yeah, at the midway of point of the game, yeah. each, each color is given an award. So if I have the most, if I have the highest rank in red, I'll get the red bonus. And if you have the highest rank in blue, you'll get the blue bonus. Yeah. And we found that, uh, generally speaking, we'll each end up with a couple of those. We and, might tie uh, we in might one tie or two. We might tie in one and that one gets discarded. But yeah, yeah. We, it kind of get it's kind of even. Yeah. yeah. And then um, then you basically put, after the t- distinctions are given, you do age two, which yep. plays exactly the same as age one. And yep, then just, the diff- just a new A, a new, new deck. deck. Yep. And then once you're done age two, you're going to tally all of your points, um, which are determined by the the different types of game end scoring they yeah, have. And all five are very widely different. different so, <laughs> and, yeah. and then you add up your gold and um, you add all of that together. And basically whoever has the most points um, has won the honor to go fight the dragon Fafnir the Ruthless. Yeah. And the points are crazy in this game. It's not out of the question for there to be 350 points to 320 points. And that kind of realm. So yeah, there's hundreds had, of points scored in this game. We've it's had really like cool. a 50 point difference, but we've also had a one point difference in one game. Yeah. We had, I think, 284 yeah. to 283. Yes. Like, it's just a fun game. It it's plays great. quick and it's just enjoyable. Yeah. And it's a 2020 game. And we, you know, I'd looked at the box art forever and just I never knew what the game was. But if I had played this in 2020, it would have easily been in my top five games from 2020. And it's one of the best games I've played recently. And so, we got the expansion, the thing yeah. earlier, but we haven't played it yet. We no, wanted to focus on... It adds on... another location. Yeah. There, there's a camp added to it. So there's the three taverns and a camp. But yeah, no, Knit of Lear, awesome game. Great Highly game. recommend it. Great price point too. Uh, if you can find it, get it. But we got to get going here. So again, this has been Rob and Anna-Marie from the Meeple Dungeon, and we'll see you next week. See ya. Bye-bye. <laughs> Hey folks, I'm Ryan from Bridge City Board Gamers and I'm one third of the weekly podcast Cardboard Conjecture where we offer our opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. And welcome to another What You've Been Playing Wednesday. Some of my favorite comic book storylines in the series have been the X-Men by Marvel. I love that 90s Saturday morning cartoon. I'm very excited that one of my favorite games right now, Marvel United, is getting a ton of X-Men expansion and standalone content currently on Kickstarter. Though I'll have to wait what seems like forever for that to fulfill, I guess I'll have X-Men Mutant Insurrection to fill the gap in the meantime. X-Men Mutant Insurrection was released by Fantasy Flight Games this year. 
And it is a dice, you know, Yahtzee-like game where you assemble a team of heroes to complete missions and progress through one of the eight story scenarios that the game comes with. There have been numerous comparisons compare the X-Men Mutant Insurrection to another FFG product called Elder Sign. Now, I haven't played Elder Sign, so I can't contribute to that conversation. There are 16 different heroes to choose from, and the game suggests each player pick one and begin to play with. From my very few plays that I have under my belt at two players, you definitely want to play with at least four heroes to get a good experience of what this game has to offer. Two heroes each in a two-player game is easy enough to manage, and even four heroes in one of my solo games was even manageable. Each hero has two cards associated with them, their main hero card that provides a special ability and an assist card that can be used to assist another hero during gameplay. These cards together also describe the dice pool that the hero will have access to complete missions. Over the course of many rounds, four phases will continually take place until the conclusion of a scenario. Deploy, mission, threat, and regroup. Deploying is really easy. Just send your hero to one of the school locations, one of the current face-up missions, or to a face-down mission. You resolve the school locations right away, and if you deploy to a face-down mission, you just simply just flip it face-up. Now comes 90% of the game, the mission phase. Players will select one of the missions that they have deployed to and try to complete as many or all of the objectives on that mission. One hero at a time will take turns rolling their dice and try to gain as many of the matching symbols on the mission as possible. At this time, a hero can use any of their abilities from their hero or assist cards that were given to them. This is where the Yahtzee thing comes into play, where each hero is able to re-roll their dice twice uh, to try and obtain the results that they want. Now, once all the heroes have attempted the mission, the players will evaluate if the mission was a success or not. Each mission card has its success, reward, and a failure consequence. After all missions have been attempted with either successes or failures, then comes the threat phase. Threat will increase by the number of threat icons on mission cards still in play, and then an event will occur. Then the regroup phase, where a little bit of cleanup takes place before the heroes go to the next deploy phase. Now there are special missions called story missions that are in play as well, and completing these more difficult missions will progress the story of the current scenario. Eventually, these more difficult missions will, uh, will reach a final showdown against the big bad of the scenario. The showdown is a special set of missions that the players will need to complete several sets of objectives each to complete. Win the showdown and the heroes will win the game. If all the heroes are defeated during the showdown though, they lose. Now I've played the game now several times, two players, uh, where we each control two heroes, and a couple of solo games where I've been controlling four heroes, and here are some of my thoughts on the game so far. The game for me seems to be fairly easy, which is okay if the target audience is a family-style cooperative game with the X-Men theme on top of it. I've never had the threat level get to that red section, I've never felt stressed about losing the game because of the threat level. Even the final showdown in the three scenarios that I've played through, we've managed to complete with ease. And from what I've read through the rulebook and any online forums, we're pretty sure we're 99% playing the rules correctly. More times than expected, I've had a single hero complete all of the objectives on a mission just by themselves with their three, re with their three rolls. Now that leaves the other hero at the mission nothing to do. And with this, even if the first hero didn't complete the mission, 
that second hero definitely was able to do the cleanup. So very rarely have we ever failed missions, which means that the threat level is really not increasing that very fast. The playtime in this game is really quick. It's usually about 30 to 40 minutes for a scenario, which is really nice to get multiple games in playing in an evening. This leads into that the setup is a little bit of tedious because of the number of small decks of cards that need to be shuffled before the play starts. I was, however, too disappointed in the variety of hero powers. In a universe where all the X-Men bring something unique and have unique abilities, all the player game abilities seem to be very samey or very similar in nature, and rarely fit the nature of the character themselves is what I found. Overall, though, it's a fun time killer and I really enjoy the game, even though it does take longer to set up than it should. And that's what I've been playing this week. I'm Ryan from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast, and you can find our show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and even Podbean and all those other podcast platforms. Also, to be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, at BC Board Gamers, to see what we've been up to lately. And we've got a few videos up on our YouTube channel as well. Okay, folks, that's what I've been playing on Wednesday, and I'll see you next time. Gamers, I'm Jason. I'm Julie, and together we're Dyson Dragons. And you can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram at Dyson Dragons, and on Twitter at Dyson Dragon. And this is What You've Been Playing Wednesdays. And the game that we've been playing is X-Men Mutant Insurrection, published by Fantasy Flight Games, designed by Richard Launius and Brandon Purdue. Now, this is based on Elder Sign, so if you play the game, you're gonna have an idea as to how the game system is going to work, but there's been some cool changes made for the X-Men theme. This is also a more family-friendly game than Elder Sign, and you also have some really cool X-Men stories. So Julie, why don't you tell them more about the game itself? So this is a cooperative game uh, that's intended for one to six players, ages 10 and above, and plays in about one to two hours. Now we've played it uh, two players, and we've played it uh, for both of us with two characters each, so four characters. Yeah, four characters total. It took us just over an hour and a bit with four characters. So I think it was probably about an hour and a half, and that's because we got bogged down trying to stay alive. And probably did... Well, so we were playing it a little bit <laughs> late at night, and I don't think we were making the best decisions on the final showdown. So what we've done with the game is we've tried it at various difficulty levels, and we've gone through the first three scenarios in the game. Now, there are quite a few scenarios, actually, and we've got the components in front of us, so let's take a look. I believe we've got a total of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There are eight different scenarios that you have in the game, which I think is uh, pretty cool. And what you are doing is you're taking on the role of your favorite X-Men, and there are quite a few of them, which I love. You've got some all the classics and some new favorites. You've got a dice pool and you need to roll dice to complete missions. You're also gonna have story missions and different objectives that you may have to complete with regards to the missions that are on the five different continents. Now those continents are only gonna be in play depending on the amount of heroes that you have. There also is a threat meter and threat deck. So those threats are going to be increasing as you play the game and you really gotta accomplish all of your objectives before you go past 15 threat 
or you lose, or if all your heroes are knocked out once you get to the showdown phase. That's the real difference between this and Elder Sign besides the threat deck, is that once you've completed the story missions, you go on a, to a big showdown based on a famous X-Men story, and after that, no one can come back into the game, because before that, if you get knocked out, well, you just draw a new character and get back. Yeah, there's a lot of cool characters with some very cool powers. Uh, you know, we tried a bunch of different ones, and, and I thought it was... Uh... I thought it was a lot of fun and very thematic to their different powers. Uh, do you have a favorite? Well, so far, I gotta say, I kind of feel that uh, Shadowcat and uh, Rogue are a little overpowered, especially when teamed together. The fact that you can just grab a die and then, depending on your threat level, use it to clear whatever space you need is incredibly powerful. They're definitely the two best characters in the game, ability-wise. Also, uh, Kitty Pryde's intangibility for some missions when you go with an ally like Rogue, who can just all of a sudden ignore all of the damage effects, can, means that you can complete a very difficult mission with <laughs> on your first try with a, not that many dice. Yeah, so I mean, it's again, it's it, it depends a lot on your dice roll. So, you know, when we played the first game, we played the first game on easy, and I was rolling like a beast, so it felt really, really, really easy. Uh, but that being said, then we played it on hard and I just couldn't get the dice to, you know, roll in my favor. So it's going to depend on, on your, on your dice roll and you could, you know, the cards as the cards turn as well, you could be a little unlucky with some of your card turns, which is, you know, how games work. And I would say this one definitely does have a higher luck factor because of the dice. And I've seen some people asking questions about this one versus, for example, Marvel United. Now, the, the big difference I would say is that this is our personal opinion. Marvel United, the heroes all felt very samey. The heroes in this are very distinct. So if yeah, you course. like your heroes and that's what you're going for, you're going to enjoy the distinct aspects of all the characters in X-Men Mutant Insurrection. Now, if you're looking for a more challenging version of Elder Sign, this isn't going to be for you. This has definitely been streamlined and made easier so that you can get it to the table with kids, family members, just anyone that really likes, you know, likes chucking dice and likes the X-Men. It's a very accessible game. Now, the one thing I would say is it's got a solid value, uh, but its original price in Canada was kind of crazy, almost around the $80 range. Don't worry, we didn't play anywhere close to that. So depending on what the price is in your market, you may or may not want to pick up this game. But the other thing that gives it an edge, in my opinion, over Marvel United, you get story, and it's a complete box. You buy one box and you're good to go. Whereas if you're spending, you know, you're trying to get this other life-friendly Marvel game, it's going to cost you a few hundred dollars potentially. Yeah, and one of the things I really like about this game as well is how you can team up, which is very uh, thematic to, to the X-Men. And you can team up and, and share your powers, basically. So you're strong, your character is stronger with the other player because that, that your second part of your power i don't know how to explain it better but well your assist power you basically you have an assist power that you don't have access to so if you go to a mission alone you know you have your dice pool but you only have your one ability when you team up with somebody uh you can change your dice uh basically it, it changes uh your dice pool but it also gives you access to your partner's assist ability which makes you a little bit stronger so i think that's very thematic and i thought that was a fun part of the game 
I also really like the, the way that you can form bonds with other players that make you even stronger as well. Also very thematic to the X-Men. And you can recruit other mutants, which replace the items from Elder Sign. They give you nice abilities as well. Also, you get a little uh, Blackbird that you get to build. So that is always <laughs> uh, pretty cool. But uh, the game definitely feels thematic to X-Men. There are some downsides to it. It does feel a little bit wonky in terms of some of the presentation. Like we were fighting Master Mold and... We for, almost forgot about the, the damage requirement. It was it just looked like it was highlighting a threat effect, but uh, we figured it out and uh, we were in tight a little bit there with four characters and uh, we definitely won. I have to say that the game does feel fairly easy at two players and I would recommend always using four heroes. Yeah. So, I mean, that's it. Uh, that's what we've been playing this week. Again, thanks for, for having us on. You can find us and a review with a little bit more detail of the game coming out uh, shortly, probably the day after uh, yeah. this comes out. Yeah. And don't forget, keep, keep playing, playing games. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm John. And we're... Friday Night Games. You can find us on Instagram at Friday Night Games underscore official, Twitter at Friday Night GMS, and on our website at FridayNight.Games. Today we're going to talk about Merv, Heart of the Silk Road by Osprey Games, designed by Fabio Lopiano and artwork by Ian O'Toole. It is a tense economic game charting the rise and fall of the greatest city in the world, Merv. Well, I'm going to get into the rules without spending a long time describing each action, even though I've written down basically large paragraphs. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to take a nap. (laughs) the game is played over three sets called a year of four rounds per each year oh we're taking turns oh are we are we taking turns is that what we're gonna do each round you move around a side of the board depending on what row or column you land on you could do an action and everyone collects resources at the end of every year there is a scoring based off of the palace action At the end of years two and three, you have to defend your buildings from a Mongol raid, which includes bribing them. There are a bunch of actions, which we won't get too detailed about, which might be why we play the game so wrong. Note, each action is activated when you land your main character in a specific row or column. When you do, you activate all the buildings in that row or column, and you gain money and everyone gains money based on what has been played. You gain favor that is used to score during the game. You can deploy a soldier used to protect your building that you played. You can activate the Caravanissary, where you can collect spices for bonuses and points at the end of the game. You can activate the Palace, which lets you place courtiers to score points for different things during the scoring round. You can activate the library to gain scrolls, which give you really good bonuses. You can activate the marketplace to place a market, which allows you to buy goods, which will allow you to satisfy contracts for points. You can also activate the mosque, which allows you to travel a path for bonuses. Big bonuses if you get to the end. And finally, you can activate the wall, which allows you to build a wall 
or several walls for protection against the mongrel raid and score points for houses in that row or column. After three years and 12 rounds, you tally the final point score to win. Uh, we obviously left out a lot uh, because we would be here for another three hours, which, yeah, like Matt said, which is why we probably played the game completely wrong. Yeah, which we'll get into in a minute. <laughs> so what did you like about it, John? Uh, you know, I liked how there was different strategies to win the game. Um, I know when, when we were playing, I was focusing a lot on getting those bonuses. I don't know if, I, if we played it right now that now that you're making me question my, my existence, <laughs> but, uh, but really getting those bonuses when playing the wall. Yeah. Um, so I was making sure I was trying to build walls while I was in the same row or column as my other houses. So I was gaining extra bonuses. Yeah. There and yeah points. You played that completely wrong. Amazing. <laughs> uh, I, so I, I compare this game to a really popular game that might actually win heavy game of the year called uh tech. He knew, um, which basically both these games have so many different paths you could play and then you kind of score the paths together. Like you do a path and it gives you points and then you do another path and that kind of blends with the path you just did to help you win. Um, and then they both, and then each path you take has like all these little rules that you're going to forget. So you basically have the instruction manual right next to you <laughs> the whole time. Um, but this game I actually like better, and that's mainly because it's a little less random. There is a little bit of randomness. Upon setup, you kind of distribute all these the actions we described, the activations that we described throughout the board. Um, but in Tekinu, you have dice, and you're rolling dice, which kind of makes it a little bit more harder to get what you want. Yeah. Um, Merv will satisfy anyone who likes complicated games. Yeah, and it probably should be up for a top secret game of the year. I don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe those details will come out sooner or later. So what didn't you like, John? Honestly, like we played this game on table, was it Tabletopia, Tabletop Simulator? Yep. Um, just when you play heavy games that have like a lot of things going on, it's so hard to like navigate the board and really understand what's happening because this board is very detailed uh, has a a lot to look at, and it was just tough for me to like grasp oh. the what was going on on tabletop simulator. It was also really small too. It was like you yeah. know, I needed like a magnifying glass on my monitor to figure out what was going on. So because there's so much going on, yeah. Um, I also didn't like how Novi called me out on some of the rules. I'm like, dude, you read the rules next time. <laughs> you know like there's so many rules don't tell me i did something wrong i read the rules i can't remember everything you should have been there to help me so there you go i'm calling out someone who played with this um <laughs> also the one thing i didn't like was the rule inception so it was kind of easy to, to remember what each activation was but then you just forgot these little nuances like for instance, where we talked about the wall, uh, the maximum points was like four or five you could score and in, at one point i think we were scoring you like 12 Per uh, war or six per wall or something, which was not allowed. So you actually had more points than uh, and you and you're supposed to get. But so how do we play this wrong? <laughs> you you told me I didn't get I didn't get to finish the game. Uh, my my kid woke up and and uh, wouldn't let me leave, leave their side. So I I had to bow out. So I don't even know what what happened. I don't know who won. I don't know 
what I did. So according to you, we played the entire game wrong. So uh, yeah, basically, I mean, uh, <laughs> no, no, we played, we did the scrolls thing right, the library. Let's, we deactivated that right. So that's maybe yeah. the only thing we did right. Um, but just going through the list really quick, uh, Caravanassery, we forgot to uh, pay resources to buy them. We just took them. So that was uh, our fault. Uh, when we activated the palace, we forgot that each, like you, you place a person, but the next person is going to cost more and the next person is going to cost one more than that. We forgot about that. Uh, when you activate the library to gain scrolls, oh, we actually did that one right. We actually paid. Uh, when you do the marketplace uh, to buy goods, we had no idea what to do, how to buy the contracts. We actually had to spend like 10 minutes trying to figure that out. Um, when you activate the moss to travel up, uh, Novi did that path and he forgot like he forgot to take all his bonuses at one point. He forgot to mm -hmm. even score his bonuses. Um, and then the wall one, we explained that we were giving uh, more points than we we're supposed to. So... But, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, overall, like I'm just gonna say, overall, it was actually a really good game. But it's definitely a game you gotta play more than once. You gotta, you gotta definitely. I wish I played it solo, so that I could get uh, the rules down before. But I didn't have time, so it just was what it was. What about you? What do you think? Yeah, I think I would just like to play it in person, like on an actual table. Yeah, <laughs> I should also mention that the game took like four hours to play. Uh, via yeah. tabletop simulator and that definitely is uh not the greatest experience but but the game was it looked fantastic had amazing art it looked amazing it played actually played really well i definitely think it played better than takinu um so i de i highly recommend it i just i wish i you know this is just like a hot take on it i wish i played more of it to be honest all right do you own it did you buy it no i don't own it no all right maybe one day yep <laughs> <laughs> all right we are matt and john and we are friday night games don't forget to check us out at friday night games underscore official on instagram at friday night gms on twitter at friday night games on tiktok and our website friday night dot games and thank you much <laughs>
and you place them in your potion bottles. And as you complete potion bottles, you gain points and you gain the the um, attribute of that bottle, which may help you get more marbles or more bottles and create more chain reactions with those. And so you're constantly trying to cause chain reactions. Uh, I find that the chain reactions on a board game arena are very generous as opposed to real life. <laughs> I haven't done very well in real really? life. Really? Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. And um, I love this game so much. It's, again, very easy to play, uh, very easy to teach. Uh, I love the click-clack of the marbles. That's a Royce term, click-clack. <laughs> and uh, it just looks great, and it's uh, it feels great. Wonderful game. If you haven't tried it, super easy. Try and find yourself a copy of Potion, Potion Explosion. I believe I have the second edition. There may have been a, a previous one. I don't know. I'm playing the most recent one with the pink box. <laughs> if that helps. <laughs> uh, would you say that it's a blast? <laughs> it certainly is, Royce. It is a blast. Oh my God. What are you what are you been playing Wednesday? Do I have to keep talking after that? I think I should just walk <laughs> off on that note. That was a high drop, note for this whole podcast. Drop the mic and leave. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> what have I been playing? I, I've actually been playing an even older game than that. Wow. Mine's from 2013. Never heard of it. Kinda. What? It's also from 2021. Right. It's one of those. So <laughs> so I I am blown away i am so happy so grateful uh to ludonaut ludonaut is a big publishing company what they did and i i don't know if i've ever seen this before i don't think i have and back in 2013 i bought a game called lewis and clark the expedition oh i love lewis and clark the expedition it's a race game i talked about a race game last week we were sort of on a race game kick, so this is another race game. Uh, this one is about the Lewis and Clark expedition going fr- across the U.S. and the Old West type deal. And it's by Cedric Chab- Chabusi. Chabusi? <laughs> I think it is Chabusi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and from Ludonot 2013. Yeah. And I loved it. It was a great game. I really enjoyed the mechanisms. Uh, it was my first introduction to the art of Vincent Dutrait, who is amazing, one of my favorite artists. So when I heard they were putting out a second edition with updated rules, I was half excited and half annoyed. Right. Because there was definitely some clunky bits to the original that I, I liked it, don't get me wrong, but, you know, it wasn't the easiest thing to wrap your brain around. But I don't want to replace my copy either, right? I don't want to buy it again. And what Ludonaut has done, and this is amazing, they put out an upgrade pack for previous version owners. Hmm. So instead of buying an entire new game, I just bought the replacement cards that have been rebalanced and three stickers that go on the board. That was nice of them to do that instead of making it yeah. buy the whole game. Yeah. And it's so nice. And it just made me so happy. And I wish more companies would yeah. think about their customers. The reason you have a second edition is because all of us who bought the first edition and loved the game so much supported it for this long. Think about us when you put out a second edition. All right. So just so everybody who has played the game before, what is the difference? Uh, The difference really is in the movement of the scout in the camp. In the original, you would move the scout forward. You would then move the camp back or the scout back based on the amount of time you took. And then you would move the camp up to where the scout was. Mm. And so it was sort of a three-step process. Well, they've gotten rid of the camp entirely. You now just move the scout 
and then you get time tokens that slow the scout down next turn. So it's a much cleaner, much easier series of movements and just makes more sense going forward. So it's a really great improvement. I'm really enjoying the new version. And I have to say, I love Ludonaut. Thank you so much for the upgrade pack. Other publishers, please take this into account. This is a wonderful thing to do. Nice. So that's Potion Explosion. Lewis and Clark, the new, what's it, what is it called? The the Expedition. The Expedition. As opposed to the Discoveries. There's Lewis and Clark, the Discoveries, which is the dice version. This is Lewis and Clark, the Expedition, the big, the big brother in the family. Very cool. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, you can always check us out on our own podcast, Definitely a Board Game Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and iHeartRadio and, oh, my God, everywhere. Wherever there's podcasts, we're there. And you can always reach out to us, too, if you want to chat. Definitelybored at gmail.com. At Bored Definitely on Twitter. Facebook is Definitely Bored. Facebook. At Bored Definitely. At Definitely Bored on Facebook. At Bored Definitely on Twitter. I know it's. There you go. Yeah. That was my fault. I did that. Sorry, everybody. (laughs) I'd also just like to remind everybody that on our last episode, we actually interviewed Frank West of Isle of Cats fame, uh, coming off his Dice Tower of the Game of the Year nomination. It is an amazing interview. He is fascinating. He provides with you with all sorts of behind the scenes publishing development discussions. He talks about shipping costs and logistics as well as what goes into designing and building a game. A fantastic guy, fantastic discussion. So check it out. Episode 28. We talked to Frank West. Yeah, and he came on because it was our one-year anniversary. That was nice of him to do that for us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, we'll hope you're enjoying whatever you're playing Wednesday, and we'll see you next time. Hey there, this is Norm from... Cardboard Conjecture Podcast, and Bridge City Board Gamers here in Saskatoon. And as always, we'll take a quick look at our Facebook page thread and see what the people in the community have been playing. Let's start it off with Lane. Lane has been playing lots and painting lots of his Marvel United. And uh, he goes on to say how, how tight the games have been coming down to just single points here and there. Uh, moving down the list, we have Eli played some Cthulhu Death May Die and Deus. I have always been interested in Deus. I've heard it's one of those under-the-radar games. Yeah, I got to try that one. Uh, Hands, Terraforming Mars, Cloud City, Silver and Gold, Carpe Diem, Praga, Caput, Regni. That is a solid lineup. Absolutely solid. Right on. Jeff, his top three that I can see from here, Five Tribes, uh, Hadrian's Wall, and Steampunk Rally. Five Tribes. Yeah, I got to get that one back to the table. Man, that one makes my brain hurt. What an awesome game. Tim, Warhammer Underworlds, Carcassonne, and Wingspan. Cool. Cool. That's a range and a half, that's for sure. Jason. Amy and I played Bees, Wingspan, finished the My City campaign, um, and uh, the kids are excited to get back into Gloomhaven and then Sleeping Gods. Wow. 
That's a uh, that's quite the menu. Awesome. Travis, Maracaibo, Lords of Waterdeep, Azul, and Anno eighteen hundred. Right on. That is Maracaibo. Ah, yeah. That I Maracaibo is awesome. I miss Great Western Trail. Alexander Fister, you rock. Um, Marianne played Airship City. She put a picture on. Kind of looks cool. Our, yeah, what a cool game. Um, yeah, well, there you go. Let's round this off by saying, uh, wrapping this up to a, a nice hour. And as always, thank you so much to the incredible content creators that collaborate on this episode each week. Uh, you guys are just amazing, and uh, you make me spend lots of money. So, you know, I'm ca- I'm conflicted. <laughs> so that being said, as always, take care out there and keep your stick on the ice, eh? This episode of What You've Been Playing Wednesday has been brought to you by the people at Cardboard Conjecture who have heard about this myth called Summer. It's lore. I, I've heard of it. It's, it's ancient text. Library of Alexandria.